Thank you for that, Desiree. That's beautiful. Christ through me. What a wonderful, wonderful reminder here today. Good to have you in God's house today on this beautiful rainy day. We're glad that you're here and want to worship together. And so if you take your Bibles today to Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, we're going to beginning continue back to our series in the book of Mark and going through uh, that chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and uh, what a wonderful season it's been in my life to do that. We had a wonderful day at Upward yesterday. It was our first day of Upward basketball here on the campus, and just a wonderful full day. I did the devotions at each of the sessions, and just a wonderful spirit, and very excited about what Upward does and the outreach it can have, and the way we invest in these kids' lives, and then even challenge people for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful a wonderful ministry, so I'm grateful for um, all those that are involved in it. Kevin Peel heads that up, and I really appreciate that so much. All right, let's stand together. We're going to read God's Word. Mark chapter 6, I'm going to begin in verse 32. I'm going to read through verse 44. Follow along now as I read this morning. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately, and the people saw them departing, and many knew him. And ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and out went them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were his sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about, and into the villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? And he saith unto him, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and brake the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. You may be seated. There, there are some things that God has for you, and, and the only way to reach it is to stretch, to stretch your faith, to stretch. It's going to take a stretch, and so my sermon title today is, It's Going to Be a Stretch. It's going to be a stretch, and I want to talk to you about that today, to stretch. Sometimes... When we stretch, it hurts to stretch. I mean, we stretch with all of our might, and we, we, we push as far as we can, and we wiggle our fingers, and we, we pull out as far as we can. Free. We're going to pull something if we do it, and, and we'll try to stretch and lift and bounce and try to get that extra centimeter. That's, that's kind of how God's promises are. If you're going to get some of God's promises, you have to stretch. You've got to make an effort. It's going to be a stretch in your life to see God do some things in your life. This is one of those stories where it's going to be a stretch. God said to the man with the withered hand, stretch forth your hand. It was made whole. God said to Moses, stretch forth your hand over the Red Sea. 
when Moses got the coordination between what his eye could see and what his hand was doing, things started moving. Seas started breaking up. But it all became because of the faith to stretch. It's going to be a stretch in your life for some things. This is definitely one of those stories where it's going to be a stretch. Because if you're going to do something mighty like God wants to do in your life, you've got to be part of that plan. And to be part of that plan is not going to come easy. I mean, it was a stretch for Christopher Columbus to go out over the sea and hope he didn't fall off the edge of the earth. Everybody said the world's flat. And yet he went out believing that it wasn't flat. They told me he was a fool. They told me he was a fool to do that. A complete fool. But history doesn't say that today, does it? History showed he was actually a man of God when he went out and did those things. But in the early period, everybody looked at him and said, you're a fool. That's what people do in the early period. But later on in history, many things will prove themselves to know a person had faith in God. Alexander Graham Bell was a Christian. Did you know that? In the 1800s. He said, I think we can improve com communication. We don't need Morse code and telegram. I think there's a way to talk from one little tin can to another tin can through a wire. And everybody said, he's a fool. But not now. Nobody says he's a fool today. They did back then. They called him a fool. And he took a wire, took a little tin can, took another tin can, had his assistant in the other room, and he said, Watson, come in here for a moment. I want to talk to you. Watson came right on in, heard him right through the phone. Isn't that an amazing thing? I don't think he's a fool now. Holland Sanders ran out of Social Security, ran out of money, was bankrupt, and on a whim, he said, I'm going to start frying some chicken. He started frying some chicken. And everybody said, you're 65 years old. You're a fool. Not now. Not now with Kentucky Fried Chicken. He's done pretty well, I'd say, over his lifetime. Died at 84 and sold chicken for the last 20 years of his life. The governor of Kentucky called him the colonel. He liked that when they called him the colonel. So Colonel Sanders, and he put on a little white outfit like he was a colonel, had a little colonel's tie on, and that's what he wore the rest of his life to demonstrate. Yeah, he's not a fool now, is he? He was a Christian too. Isn't it amazing? What men will do when they step out and do things and stretch themselves. That's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk about it in your life and what God's trying to do through you. Let's pick it up in verse 32 so we can kind of see this. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. The reason they did that is because the context from verse 31 says, Jesus says, you're wore out. You've been doing ministry by twos. I want you to come apart in verse 31 from the desert place and rest a while. So they get in a ship to get away from everything. Verse 33, though, says, And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, many knew Jesus, and they ran a foot thither out of all the cities and outwent them and came together unto him. So they get in this ship on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about 21 miles uh, long and 9 miles wide. It's not, a, it's not a huge sea. You can actually see from one side to the other, uh, especially on the width of it. And so... The people are watching Jesus, and they start seeing his boat navigating, and they start communicating to people all around the edge of the Sea of Galilee and said, he's going over there. 
Now he's going over here. And they started telling people. And the news started traveling from city to city. Jesus' boat is going to end up over there. And so they're hustling in front of Jesus to get where he's going to go. Isn't that amazing? He's trying to get his disciples away from everybody to give them a break. And these people are following him along the shoreline. Incredible story. Now they're probably in the boat enjoying the day. They're thinking, great, we're going to take a break. Wind's hitting their face. It's a beautiful sunny day. They pull out their Yeti cooler. They got some San Pellegrinos for the really hip people, you know, and the LaCroix. And they got the Dr. Pepper for people like me because I like the sugar to hit my brain right away. And so they got all these drinks and they're having a good old time. I often wondered many times if some of those seedier disciples, you know, like Matthew the tax collector and Simon the Zealot, if they didn't pull out a bunch of cigars and say, here, boys. And John said, no, that's not going to work. Perfect love casts out cigars. And so they just didn't get along there and sometimes on that sea. But I've often wondered what it was like for them to rest and relax and get away from things. So they get all the way to the shoreline where they're going to go and get a break. And when they get to that place of the break, there's thousands of people that have communicated with each other around the seashore and have figured out where he was going, and they're waiting for them. And I mean, can you imagine you're getting ready to take a vacation and somebody busts up your vacation? By the way, it happens in ministry. And so here they are. They bust up their vacation that they're going to do. No vacation time. Messed up by the needs of people. Look at verse 34 now, we'll pick up the text. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Now, you see that phrase, moved with compassion? Make a little note of this in your Bible, if you don't mind writing in your Bible. Uh, Wiest, in his word study, says this, this phrase, moved with compassion, this phrase is only used to describe Jesus in all of the New Testament. That phrase is only used of Jesus in the New Testament. That's an amazing statement right there because Mark's really keen on getting phrases that are unique words that match the book of Mark. And this is one of them, moved with compassion. If you see the word compassion for anyone else or anywhere else in the Bible, it's not the same word in the Greek. Okay, so this phrase, moved with compassion, describes Jesus, only used of him in all the New Testament. Now, that should strike you because that's not a normal compassion then. Jesus' compassion reached a level that was deeper than human concern and empathy for people in pain. It was deeper than the kind of compassion we can have. Powerful truth today, and I want to get it across to you, that Christ's compassion recognizes our weakness and our limitations and what he can do if we'll bring it to him. That's an important thought. That's what I want to preach on today. And so I've outlined this message around this theme. What sparks Jesus' compassion? What sparks Jesus' compassion? Number one, when Jesus sees sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus sees sheep without a shepherd. This phrase is not unique to Mark. This phrase is not unique to Jesus. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Actually, the first time this phrase is used is Moses in the wilderness. Remember, they're in the wilderness too. 
And Moses said it in Numbers 27, verse 17. When he was coming to the end of his life, he was concerned for the people that when he died, they would be like sheep without a shepherd. That's a consistent theme throughout the scriptures. And so it's first said by Moses. Now, moved with compassion, he saw thousands of people. And the first thought that ran through his heart was, this is what I see. I see people running, and I see people rushing, and I see people following me, and they have no idea why they're doing what they're doing. They're working aimlessly. They're moving about without real purpose. They're moving about without eternal understanding. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Like a shepherd, not leading the sheep. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. I was in Brazil one time with a missionary. We were driving down the road, and about a 1,000 sheep, I really don't know how much, the gate was broken, and all the sheep had come out onto the road. And they were all over the road. The missionary stopped the car. He couldn't get by. He said, get out and push those sheep out of there. Me? Yeah, you. Okay, I got out of the car. I started shooing the sheep, but they were going this way. They were going that way. They wouldn't listen to me. At first, it was comical. I'm wasting my time out here. I can't get one of these sheep to hardly move. I'd get one sheep off. Five more sheep would step in front of the car. It was awful. And so I'm, I'm getting com- I'm comical at first, just having a good old time out there, but pretty soon I'm getting angry. You dumb old sheep, get out of the way. We're trying to move. The car's going about five inches every minute, and that's about as fast as we could go until the shepherd came. The shepherd saw his sheep were getting out of the gate. He comes over into the field. He starts yelling at them, and they all start hopping back through the fence, back into the fold. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I couldn't get him to do anything. And so here we see Jesus sees people like that. He sees you like that. He's not mad. He's not angry at you. He feels pity for you. He thought to himself, these people, these people need a shepherd. All through the Bible, that's the question that's trying to be answered. Who will be the shepherd king? To these people. Who will be the shepherd king to you? Who will be the good shepherd to you in your life? And the future answer that will be in the book of Mark is who will be that shepherd? The one who lays his life down for the sheep. Would you follow someone like that if they laid their life down for you? Would you give up your sin if they laid down their life for you? Would you do that? That's what he wants. He wants to be your shepherd king. What does Jesus do when he has compassion on them? Look at verse 34 now. Notice this carefully. This kind of jumped out at me. He, uh, he saw that they were sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Now, that struck me right there. He began to teach them many things. A note, most of us think as compassion, when we think of having compassion on someone, we want to do something for them. We want to spend time with them. We want to talk to them. We want to care about them. We want to help them. We want to kind of do something. That's what we think of when we think of compassion. But the immediate demonstration of of compassion in this passage was not food. It was not caring. It was not doing something for them. He wanted to teach them. 
He wanted to teach him. That struck me. That struck me. At some point in your life, if you have compassion on people, if you have compassion on a person, it should lead to teaching. It should lead to teaching, not just doing a kind deed for somebody. It should lead to teaching. That's an important point to make to you. If, if, if you, all you do is care about them, help them, try to get them through that, you haven't had the biblical compassion. You've had compassion, but not biblical compassion. Because biblical compassion will take the very thing you're doing for them and teach them with it. You'll teach them. It's an amazing thing to think about. If you don't teach them, you've missed the point of compassion. This, this is so clear to me as I'm older now. The, the primary office of the pastor in the New Testament is to teach you. It's to teach you. That's the greatest compassion I can show for you, is to teach you to feed the sheep. That's the word of God. The church becomes so weak if people are not fed. I used to look at my job as 50% to teach. I don't feel that way anymore. The, the longer and longer I preach... And the longer and longer I pastor, I'm realizing 90% of my job is to teach you. To teach you the word of God. 10% or the other, whatever else I do of myself, vision, uh, administration, counseling, whatever else it is, that's 10%. That's what I'm convinced of now as I've gotten older with this because I begin to see the importance of that. When Jesus had compassion, he taught them the word. So tie that to your caring if you care for somebody. If you have compassion on somebody, tie that to your caring. All right, that's number one. He saw sheep without a shepherd. Number two, what sparks compassion in Jesus? Number two, when our faith needs to be stretched. When our faith needs to be stretched. This is in verse 35. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desert place. This is the wilderness. And you should immediately go back to the book of Exodus and Numbers. This is a desert place. And now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said, you give them something to eat. And they said, shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? It's an incredible portion of Scripture here. Jesus just finished his teaching. One of the disciples comes up to him and says, Man, you knocked it out of the park with that sermon. Man, I didn't hear that material before. That was great, Jesus. Now, Jesus, it, it, we better get rid of these people. <laughs> okay, that's the next thing on his mind. Great sermon, Pastor Rob. Great sermon. But you know what? You know what the problem is here? we got to send these people home. they got to get something to eat. If you don't send them home now, we're going to have a problem on our hand. There's thousands of them here in the desert, in the wilderness. you got to send them home. Tell everyone. Tell everyone to go home. Jesus looks at that disciple and the other disciples around and said, You feed them. You feed them. I fed them the word. You feed them the food. You feed them food. Disciples are flabbergasted. They're flabbergasted. They're gassed as flabbing. That's what that means. They're gassed as flabbing, and they're thinking to themselves, how do you expect us to feed them? Listen, this is you. Put yourself in the text. This is you as a disciple. How do you expect me to do that? You're going to take 200 days' wages? That's two-thirds of a year's salary? We, gonna, we don't even have that in our treasury right now. And by the way, if you look around, there's no Costco's. 
There's no Costco's anywhere. How do you expect us to do that, Jesus? We, we can't do that. This is the wilderness. It's no longer the crowd now. The mob, the mob's getting a little antsy now. It's a mob now to them. Now, let's just get this in our hearts, okay? Let the, let the words of the Scripture jump off the page right down into your heart, all right? That's standard human response. That is standard human response. We are more inclined to say we can't than we are to say, how can we do this? We are more inclined to say we can't than to ask, how might we do this? Has that ever happened to you? Someone asks you to get involved, and before you even think about it, you say, "Mm, I don't have time right now. I don't have time right now. Or, that's not really my thing. That's not really my thing. I I can't get involved in that. I don't don't have time. I can't do that. I can't do that. I I just can't do it. Ever been asked to give money, and you say, "Hmm, things are a little tight right now. Things are a little tight right now. I, I I can't do that. Listen, listen to me carefully, okay, because I want this in your heart. If you forget everything else in this message, don't forget this. We are not naturally disposed toward faith. We are not naturally disposed toward faith. First response, nope, can't do it. Nope, don't got the time. I don't have what's necessary to do that. Too many obstacles, too many obstacles. Nope, can't, we can't do it, we can't do it. You know, everybody, you know anybody like that? <laughs> Go ahead, say, yeah, it's me, oh Lord, it's me, standing in the need of prayer. Just say it, admit it about yourself. You are not naturally disposed towards faith. You resist it, your first response is, can't do it. Nope, no time, too many obstacles. What if they would have said, when Jesus said, give them something to eat, what if they would have said, okay, we will. That's an awesome idea. How do you want us to do it, Jesus? Just tell me what to do. That's a hugely different response. Just tell me what to do. I'm ready, Jesus. That's awesome. Just stop and think, how could I do that? How could I do that? That's faith. That's faith. Is there a chance you are in a season right now that you are saying no to something? Instead, you should be saying How might I do that? How might I do that? Instead of assuming you can't and telling yourself you can't. What if you just said to the Lord, Lord, I don't know how I want to do this, but is is there a way you think I can do this? How, How can I do this, Lord? How can I do this?
I feel this is before me, Lord. It's an option. I don't, I don't know how, God, but God, help me. How? How can I do this? That's, that's a level of faith that God wants to put inside of you. Why do you think he's asking this question to them? He already knows what he's going to do. But he's challenging them to think about that. You start speaking like that, I promise you this. Jesus will stretch your faith. That's what sparks Jesus' compassion in you. He sp- it sparks his compassion into your life. And by the way, the thing to keep in mind is Jesus always meets your needs, okay? And so there's nothing he will call you to do that he will not provide for you. All right, that's number two. Let's go to number three. Number three. What sparks Jesus' compassion? When he sees us use what we have. When he sees us use what we have. Verse 38, he said unto him, how many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, five and two fishes. And he commanded them, make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. They sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. Let's just stop here for a minute, okay? And, and kind of get this context so you get a feel for this. Jesus said, what do you got? Go out and look. Go out and look and see what we got. So the disciples go out, and they literally come back and say, five and two fish. Five and two fish. We found this little lad's lunch. He's got these five flat pita breads, little pita breads, how they made their bread there. Five flat pita breads and two little fish. And by the way, we saw a little note from his mom. I love you, honey. I made you just enough. Be back home before dark. Little boy's about to bite into it, and James says, stop, son. We need that lunch. But my mom, do you want to hurt Jesus? So James takes the lunch from the little boy, and they take it back to Jesus, and it's all they got. 5,000 men, the Bible say, were at this event, so that means that we could estimate another, most uh, commentators say, another 5,000 with the women and the children. And so maybe 10,000, maybe 8,000, who knows? But amazing. Five flat pieces of bread, two fishes, no snicker bars. Nobody's got a protein shake. It's amazing nobody carried a protein shake to this event. I mean, they don't got anything, not, not even some lousy carrots. They don't got nothing, just, just one kid's lunch. And Jesus says, what do you got? Well, we don't got much here, Jesus, just a little kid's lunch, five and two fish. Now listen, I said in the last point, sometimes we're not predisposed to faith. The other side of that is sometimes we're not even predisposed to obedience. We're not even predisposed. Okay, I'll go look. I don't know what you're going to do with five fishes. What is this? These two fishes and the five loaves. I don't know what you're going to do with that. It's not much. We don't even get predisposed to obedience, much let alone faith. Go find out what you have. Look for the answer. Well, the answer stinks. Even if I'm obedient, even if I have faith, the answer stinks. What are we going to do with this?
Jesus says, sit them all down. Put them on the green grass, groups of 50s and 100s. Now remember, they're sheep without a shepherd. They're in the wilderness, just like Moses was in the wilderness with the children of Israel. And he tells them, like in Psalm 23, to lie down on green pastures. In the wilderness, lie down on green pastures like in Psalm 23. And then he sees them as sheep without shepherd. Because Moses saw his people when he would die as sheep without a shepherd in Numbers chapter 27, verse 17. And he's afraid there's going to be nobody to take over when he dies. What they don't know is God's got a deliverer for Moses. And his name is Joshua. He tells him in Numbers 27, Joshua's going to take over for you. It's the word Yeshua. It's the word in the Greek, Jesus. Joshua's the Old Testament deliverer. The New Testament's going to be Jesus. Joshua delivered him physically. Jesus is going to deliver him spiritually. Both of them are are going to meet their needs. Both of them. So he says 50s and 100s. Why does he do 50s and 100s? Because that's what Moses did in the Old Testament. He put them in 50s and 100s. I gave you a couple verses here, Exodus 18, 21, Numbers 31, 14. You can study that on your own, but he set them in 50s and 100s. Why? To organize the people. He cares for the people. He's going to feed the people, and he, he sets them in ranks. He sets them in battle array. That's a word for battle, 50s and 100s. They're ready to do battle, and Jesus is going to be their warrior king, and he's going to lead them forward in their life. He's going to care for them, and he's going to protect them. Now, listen, I don't think, as they read the book of Mark back then, I don't think all that registered unless they just had a keen insight into this because it didn't register to me until I studied it this week, all of the ties back to the Exodus and Moses leading them to the, promise, to the promised land. I don't think the disciples in this passage can even register all that's happening at this moment and how it's connected to Moses. God's saying, I'm, I'm going to be that shepherd of the sheep that Moses tried to be and Joshua tried to be, but I'm, I'm going to be the one that, that lays down my life for these sheep, and I'm going to meet their every need, every need, right here in this wilderness. But even though you know that about Jesus, don't overlook the greater truth here in this passage. Here's how he's going to do it. That's the greater truth, how he's going to do it. Not that he's going to do it, but how he's going to do it. That's the greater truth to see. And how's he going to do it? He's going to multiply what they brought. He's going to multiply what they brought. That's how he's going to do it. Which is an amazing thought here. This passage wouldn't be powerful at all if he said, what do you got? Well, we had a chance at a little boy's lunch, but by the time we got to him, he ate it. We don't got nothing, Jesus. Okay, whatever. Watch this. And down comes manna from heaven. That would have blown the whole story. Because that's what Moses did. But Jesus wasn't acting like Moses here. Jesus wanted them to see, and he wants you to see. No matter how meager the thing you bring to him is. You got just two hours for the Lord. 
You got 75 bucks. Jesus, I'm not really that talented. I'm not really that skilled. No matter how meager you think your offering is. In the hands of Jesus, he will multiply it miraculously. Whoever in here thinks, well, I'm not that much, and I don't have much, and I don't have much to give, I really can't accomplish much. On your own, you're right. But put it in the hands of Jesus, and he'll multiply it. He'll multiply it. When you give it to Jesus, he does exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Jesus calls us to do things, but in calling us to do things, he meets us in that call when we bring what we have to him. That's so important to understand. He meets us in the call, and he provides with what we bring to him, our needs. It's beautiful. Jesus didn't scoff at the disciples. What do you got? Five loaves, two fishes. That's it? I can't work with that. I can't work with that. You guys got to get some more out there. Go out there again. No, he took what they brought, and you know what he said? Five loaves, two fishes? That's enough. That's enough. That's all I need. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's all I need. And he used it in a powerful way. I don't even know how he did it. He doesn't even tell us how he did it. He just looked up to heaven. He blessed it. He broke it. And he started giving it to the disciples. And they gave it to the people. Doesn't even tell us how he did it. But it's beautiful. He took what they had. And he said, it's enough. Now, I'm telling you. We're looking at this on the backside. We've seen the whole passage. We can see how the verse is supposed to be understood. They didn't get to see any of that. They had to do it in the moment. I mean, think about this for a minute for them, how difficult it would have been for them to believe that he could feed 5,000 with two loaves or five loaves and two fishes. And then when Jesus died, is it any wonder they were at their wit's end? And then when Jesus was resurrected, they couldn't fathom it. Is it any wonder they couldn't fathom it? And then when he touched them all, even one of the disciples said, unless I touch him, I won't believe. Isn't that amazing? With him his whole life. And after he did all those things, when he finally, when they were finally in the upper room and the Holy Spirit fell upon him 50 days after the resurrection, this man that walked in with them, they realized, is the Son of God. He is God himself. He is not a Messiah man. He is Messiah God. He didn't get it all the way till Pentecost. That's the very son of God. He died to forgive me of my sin. Sitting in the upper room. The Holy Spirit's upon them now. They're redeemed. I I had to think about this. Do you ever think one of the disciples looked at the other 11 disciples and said, Do you remember when we were out there in that field and he was going to feed the 5,000 and we didn't believe he could feed them? 
They must have felt like fools. We didn't believe him the whole way. But he did it time after time after time. Because Jesus wants you to know, I've taken care of your greatest need, your sin. And if I've taken care of your greatest need on a cross, what need would I not take care of in your life? When he calls us to follow him, he provides. I just want you to get this, okay, because I'm rounding this sermon to a close, okay? He just asks each and every one of us in this room, what do you have? What do you have? He will multiply what you bring because he offers abundancy to everyone. But you got to bring it. You got to bring it. Verse 42 And they did all eat and were filled. Isn't that beautiful? They all ate. They were fully satisfied, is the word in the Greek. They were fully satisfied. That's the mystery of that. When he distributed that food, I don't understand it, but mysteriously, everybody satisfied with five loaves and two fishes. Everybody satisfied. Verse 42, and then verse 43, and they took up the 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fishes. It was more than enough. It was mysterious. How did he do it? I don't know. It was more than enough. They had leftovers. Another passage says, gathered up that there be nothing wasted. That's where we get that phrase, waste not, want not. Jesus said, I don't want to waste the leftovers. You use your leftovers? That's another sermon. All right, let's go on, Okay. More than enough. He had more than, it was mysterious. It was more than enough. Verse 43, and they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. It was miraculous. How do you take five loaves, two fishes, and feed 5,000 men, not counting the 5,000 women and at least one kid? Okay, I don't know how many kids were there, but at least one was there. I tell you from experience, this is the Christian life. This is the Christian life. It is the only thing that will satisfy the human soul. There are so many things to chase, but what you realize as you get older and older is they don't satisfy. They don't satisfy. Nothing can satisfy you like Jesus. Full satisfaction. It's a mystery. More than enough. And it's miraculous. All right, I'm going to close it. Here we go. Three ways to respond to this message. Three ways to respond. Number one, embrace Christ. Embrace Christ. If you've been coming to this church for some time and you've never embraced Christ, you've never taken him as your Savior and Lord, you've never really confessed him as Lord, you've never accepted your sin, you need to do it. You're playing around with something. That's a very dangerous thing. If you haven't done it, now if, you're, if this is the first time you've come, this is the first time you heard the gospel, uh, I'll give you a break. But if you've been hearing the gospel and you've not surrendered to it, you need to do it now. You need to embrace Christ. That's, that's the call of the gospel. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. The Bible's very clear about that. He knows you're weak. He loves you. And he died so you could have eternal life. 
But if you're here and you've not done that, you need to embrace Christ. Embrace Christ. Okay, number two, serve Christ. Serve Christ. Some of you need to serve Christ. You really don't do that much in any kind of avenue of any ministry we have here. You're not really doing much at all. And, and so you've got all these avenues that you could be ministering in, and you're kind of out of the game. You're kind of out of the game. I, I, I know you're saying, I have no time. I have, I have no money. I have, I have no skills. I, I get it. That's natural. But let me tell you something. Jesus can't take and multiply what you don't put in his hand. And if you're not putting anything into his hand, he can't do anything with it. So I'm telling some of you, get back in the game. Get back in the game. There's something you could be doing for the cause of Christ. Serve Christ. Stop sitting there thinking, I got too much going. Get back in the game. Number three, stretch your faith in Christ. Stretch your faith in Christ. Factor in that faith. Instead of, nope, can't do it, can't be done, too many obstacles. Just, just this week, next time somebody asks you something, or the next time something happens in your life, just, just stop and say, how might I do it, Lord? I have no idea how I can do this, but how could I do it, Lord? You start speaking like that, I promise you this, Jesus will stretch your faith. He'll stretch your faith. Let's pray. Where's the Spirit of God speaking to you today? Do you need to embrace Christ right now? You need to say, Jesus, I need you as my Lord. I need you as my Savior. You died on a cross for me. You shed your blood for me. You are my sacrifice. I accept you. I confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. Help me to be the person you want me to be. Jesus, save me. Embrace Christ right now. That's your, that's your prayer. You need to make that decision right now. And I want to know. I want to know. I want you to fill out a card in front of you, or I want you to tell me. I want you to tell someone that you received Christ today. Don't keep it under a bushel. You let someone know, you can tell me. Embrace Christ. Serve Christ. Serve Christ. You, you, you've got to put something in his hand if you want him to do something with what you got. You can't multiply nothing. Get in the game. Get in the game. And then stretch your faith in Christ. This week, just stop before you say a word. For wherever you are in your life and whatever comes up, whatever people ask you, just stop and say, oh, I could do that. Lord, could I do that? Oh, how could I do it, Lord? Stretch your faith. Father, I pray you take this message now and I pray you speak to each of the hearts of your children. Maybe there's one here that has not known you, but 
chose this morning to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, strengthen them with all their weaknesses and limitations and use them for your glory and your honor. Each one of us, Father, to that end, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to be led in this invitation song. The altar's open. If there's a need in your heart or God's speaking to you in a special way, you come. When I think of how he came.